Welcome to the weekly podcast of East Point Church of God. Pastor Larry Sterling, we invite you to join us in a service soon. We're located at 379 Avenue A, East Point, Florida. Our service times are 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays and 7 p.m. on Wednesdays. We pray that this week's message inspires you to shine the light of Christ to those around you. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 6, starting at verse 6. The Bible says, Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with great judgments. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. The Bible speaks of four specific verbs here. And I want to talk to you about the four cups of grace. Four cups of grace. I found it intriguing that last week Brother Brian Cutshaw spoke about the four gates of deliverance. This morning I'm going to be talking about four cups of grace. Now when you have these cups of grace, if you, if you understand Jewish tradition of their Passover, during their Passover time, they, they celebrate what God did for them of bringing them out of bondage and bringing them out of slavery and into their promised land. But not only that, they're celebrating the night that the, the death angel came to Egypt and the, because they put the blood on the doorpost of their house, the Lord passed over or the death angel passed over over and they were spared and their firstborn was 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 basically given back to them so when you have this this celebration here if you're in a jewish synagogue or some kind of thing they have four different cups that they that they have laid out on a table for a for a passover meal and they have each cup each four cups represents something about what is spoke about here in exodus chapter 6 verses 6 and 7 each cup represents something god covenants and vows to do for you in your life and i want to tell you before we get to mount sinai before we get to what god what we know that god asks of us and how we are to live and what we are to do in our lives we first have to recognize of what he did back here so you can't get to the Ten Commandments, you can't get to Sinai, you can't get to living for Jesus until you talk, speak about how he delivered you, how he brought you out, how he set you free, how he put your feet on a solid rock, what he did for you in each aspect of his ministry. And so I want to look at these four things that you will see here in Exodus chapter 6, starting in verse 6. The Bible says, therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord, your, I am the Lord, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So the first cup we see represents this verb here, I will bring you out. The first thing you've got to recognize as what Christ's offering for you is that he says, I'm going to bring you out. I make a promise to you that you're going, that even though you might find yourself amongst slavery of Egypt, Egyptians and, and representative in our understanding of the Egyptians represent the bondage of sin. So he's telling us that 
are bound into sin, he says, if you will be my people, if you will be my child, I make this covenant with you that I will, number one, I will bring you out. I will, I will take you from where you were and bring you to where you need to be. You see, what the Bible tells us is that they were under burden from the Egyptian. What this means is, is that the slavery that the Egyptians handled that forced, was forced upon the Israelites, they, they've removed their ability to worship the Lord. If you remember the, 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 the Moses standing before Pharaoh, he would say over and over again to Pharaoh, let my people go, let my people go. But then he adds another phrase, we don't say it very often, so that they may serve me, so that they may worship me, they may go into the desert and worship. You see, the Egyptians, they didn't want the God of the Israelites in their area. They didn't want the God of the Israelites available to them. And so their slavery prevented them from worshiping God. I want to tell you, sin prevents you from worshiping God. And when God says, I'm going to bring you out, he's saying, I'm going to pull you out of this thing that has you so bound that you cannot escape from, and I'm going to bring you to a place so that you can worship them. That's what he's about. Our problem is, is that we sometimes, in Hebrews chapter 12, we have sins that so easily beset us because the enemy knows step one is to get you to stop worshiping. If he can get your praise out of your mouth, if he can get you so disgusted about things of the world that you stop being worshipers and you stop coming to the house of God and you stop coming to God's presence, the very next step for you is slavery. Because then he's going to bind you in depression. Then he's going to bind you in sickness. Then he's going to bind you in some form or fashion so that your praise is permanently stopped up. So that your mouth is permanently prevented from opening up glories, glorious praises unto the Lord. Because it is your praise that continues to allow you freedom from where you are. So what he will do is he will, t- he will put things on you that, that, that you may not even think that are unholy. He'll make you busy. He'll make you distracted he'll do all these things to get you to stop praising and to get you to stop worshiping and sometimes he suddenly comes in and all of a sudden you're bound up and you don't even know why he stole your praise he stole your worship and by by accident and sometimes so what we have to do like Samson we got to break those cords off of us because the holy ghost gave you the power to praise him and when he promised you that you could bring, that he's going to bring you out that promise is permanent he doesn't take it back if you grab a hold of him you're free if you hold on to Jesus you're free and all you got to do is say i know i don't feel like it i know that it doesn't seem like it i should but listen i'm going to praise the lord and allow god to bring me out of where I am and I know I shall be delivered. This word here means, this verb that he says, I will bring you, word bring, it it represents the idea of, of chosenness, of sanctification. You are set apart for use for the kingdom. I have a hey, I really like my golden retriever. My dog, she's annoying because she barks at squirrels all the time. But other than that, she's a pretty good dog. And I tell you what, though, I will not eat out of her bowl. I don't care if you put it through the dishwasher 18 times. I mean, unless I was starving and it was the only bowl in the house, I might consider it. But I'm telling you right now, if I have plenty of options, I'm not eating out of that bowl. 
I'm not going. Why? Because that bowl is set apart for my dog. And how much I love her, I ain't eating after her. You are sanctified, set apart for worship. You are set apart for what God has praise coming out of your mouth. And because you are set apart, that makes you different. Doesn't make you better. It makes you holy. It makes you sanctified. It makes you chosen. He said, I will bring you out. Meaning he cleansed that bowl and he said, this is now on my table and it's going to do what I want it to do. And I am sanctifying. I am choosing this bowl right here. It's not going to be used for the common. It's not going to be used for the things of the, of the world. I want it for my glory, for my kingdom, for my honor, so that everybody will know what I can do through somebody that lives Listens to me. So you have this first cup here, the first cup of grace that we see in the in the Passover meal, where they, they are brought out, they are sanctified, they are free to worship. But then it goes on, the Bible says, to the second cup. Verse 6, the second part of it, he says, And I will redeem you with an outstretched. No, 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 I went too far. He says, I will rescue you from their bondage. I will rescue you from their bondage. The second thing goes a little bit deeper. The first part is he's saying, I'm choosing you. I'm setting you apart. I'm, I'm creating a, a mission for you. I've got a plan for you. I'm going to bring you out. The Egyptians, you just need to worship and praise me. But he goes on and says, I will rescue you. Now, it kind of sounds like it's the same idea. It kind of sounds similar. But the, in Hebrew, the idea goes a little bit deeper when he uses the word rescue. It, it refers direct, directly to deliverance. The second thing God wants to do, not only does he want to set you apart as his child, but he also wants to deliver you from everything Egypt is pulling on you from. You see, deliverance implies something very important, or rescuing implies something important. You, don't, you can't do it without somebody else's help. Rescue means that I was in danger, but now I need to be set free. I was, I'm in the middle of trial, and now I need to be set free. Somebody has me in prison, and somebody has me hostage, and I need rescue because I can't get out on my own. Rescue isn't just God bringing us out. Rescue is saying very clearly it's a change of status. I am moving you from being a slave and I am going to literally move mountains in your life. Colossians 1.13 says this. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. He's telling us very, very clearly and very poignantly here. He's saying, I am going to move you from dark places to light places. I'm going to pick you up out of this pain and this trial and this sorrow and I'm going to put you over here and even no matter how much you want to do it, you couldn't do it on your own. You couldn't be good enough or wise enough or strong enough to rescue yourself. I promise you that I will do it for you. Hear me this morning. I mean, that's the best news all of us have heard all week long. He promises you he's going to deliver you from every single thing that holds you back. Nothing, nothing, not one thing should be still attached to you in your life. He's telling us, 
over and over. Any mountain that shows up, I'm going to carry you over. Any Red Sea that comes in front of you, I'm going to part it for you. Any valley that becomes too low, I will walk beside you. Anywhere you are that you cannot see to make a way of escape, I will part it. We can walk on top of it. We are going to go through this because I have promised you I will deliver you. And even though the world may throw things in front of you and Satan sends all of the devils of hell to fight against you, I make this covenant with you that I will deliver you and it will not destroy you in your path. I will rescue you, he promises. I will rescue you. You see, we need some, we need to get this God-given idea in our spirits. The Bible tells us that Moses, many years later, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 30, he says this. He says, the Lord your God who goes before you, he will fight for you according to all he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And verse 31, he says very clearly, and in the wilderness where you saw, look, how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son. How does God rescue you? He doesn't depend on your strength. He doesn't depend on your availability. He sees that you're in the midst of this thing. You cried out to them. You cried out to him. And he says earlier that I've heard my people's cry. You cried out to him. And he came down like a father. And he pulled you out. And he didn't just bring you out. He carried you himself all the way out. You got to get this. You see, he didn't just say, he didn't just set you up and say, Go for it. Have a good time. He didn't just bring you out. No, he carried you. When you thought everybody else left you, Father was carrying you. When you didn't know what tomorrow was going to bring and how you were going to pay your bills and you didn't understand it, you don't realize that Father is carrying you right now. And he's carrying you. And the world's trying to distract you from that. But Father is carrying you. You got to hold to the fact that you have a God that is carrying you. And you say, well, the storm is bad. Yes, but God, our Father, who art in heaven, that we can call Father, is carrying us right now. We are the children of the mighty God. We are the ones that He has bought and paid for. He is the one, we are the ones that He loves, and He is carrying us through the wilderness, carrying us through trials, carrying us through pain, carrying us through sickness, carrying us through betrayal, carrying us through times of struggle in our lives. He carries you through it all. There's never a time that Jesus Christ, just King of kings and a Lord of lords, is not carrying you right now. Without him carrying us, we could not escape and we could not be rescued. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again the fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. By whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You are a child of God. Your Father is carrying you right now. You see, well, listen, there are trials that completely overwhelm us, that we don't even know what what we are to do. And yet, you have a promise that he said in his word, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will go with you to the very end. He is carrying you whether you realize it or not. Mm, I feel that in my spirit this morning. Somebody needs to recognize where you are. He has made this vow. I will do it. Third cup this morning. We're moving along pretty good here. 
My wife asked me how long would I preach, and I said about 45 minutes to an hour. I'm looking at 30 minutes. Y'all are blessed. She's doing kids' church. Anyway, when we look further on, it says in the latter part of verse 6, and he says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Now, the third cup is really easy. It's the cup of redemption. So remember, we're back at Passover. Every year of Passover, they, they drink from four cups. And on the third cup, they get to it. They, when they drink of that, they recognize that it was God that redeemed them from where they were. And he says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with great judgments. You see, the concept of redemption in the Hebrew Scripture is represented by two words. And one of them is kind of like a business transaction. And the other one is something of redemption when you're speaking of family. When your family's in trouble and you redeem them. And this is the word God uses here. I'm going to redeem you. Why? Because you're my family. You're my, you're my son. You're my daughter. I'm going to redeem you from these things. Now, the, our problem in our world right now is that we don't understand very much about redemption and scripturally speaking. Because redemption is, is a powerful word that goes beyond just paying a particular price. There's, there's, there's a process that happens in redemption. Let me give you a, a real world example. Next week is the Super Bowl. And I like football. And there are two particular teams playing. And on one team, the quarterback is a really young guy. His first Super Bowl, I think. And this, this guy, he represents the league as it's changing and all that. On the other side is a, is a really old quarterback. Really old quarterback, football speaking terms. He's a year older than me. So I don't think he's old at all. But you hear me. I'm 38, he's 39, and I think we're young. So it, I'm holding on to that. My, my sister texted me the other day. She said, you 40? No, she goes, thank the Lord. Because <laughs> she's younger than me and she's scared she's going to be 40 soon. Anyway, we go, we, we're going through the, uh, the, the Super Bowl and you've got a guy. His name's Peyton Manning and he's a quarterback of the Denver Broncos and they're going to the Super Bowl. And a couple of years ago, he went to the Super Bowl and man, he got trounced. I mean, it wasn't, it was ugly. It was bad, bad. And everybody started looking at him and said, he can't throw the ball like he used to. And so he's, he's looking at what we call redemption. Why? Because he wants to come to this Super Bowl, and he knows he doesn't have the strength that he does, but he has a pretty good team around him, and his hope is that he wins and redeems himself from the last loss that he had. Redeemed. You see, what happens in redemption is that there is a process of forgetting. When you are redeemed something, you, you, you're, the act of for redeeming something for, allows us to forget the thing that you failed at. When you redeem something, you ever seen somebody, they really failed miserably, and then they did something so good, you look at them and you say, well, they redeemed themselves. They must have just been having a bad day. Maybe they just having a rough moment, but they've redeemed themselves. They've kind of, they've done something really good and they've redeemed it. So that gives you the ability to, to remember the good things and you forget the bad things. 
things. Many times in our natural world, we, we, when someone passes away, we, many times it is the, the death is a, almost a sense of redemption in a sense because what happens is that we will stop talking about the, the negative things they did and we'll only talk about the good things that they did. You see, there's an act of redemption in the sense that we begin, to for, we begin to forget. When you have a debt, like you owe somebody down at the bank, or you owe somebody down at the store, rather, and you take your money and you put it on the counter, you have, you have paid that bill, and they forget the bill. They don't bring it back up anymore. It is forgotten. It is gone. But it takes an act of some sort that is greater than the thing of the charge or the trial in order for you to be redeemed. It's going to take Peyton Manning winning the Super Bowl for us to forget the horrific trial that he went through before. He's going to, have to do something better. And the Bible tells us that, that we have a major issue. And I spoke about this on uh, Wednesday night. Our God is eternal. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is consistently and always, always around. He is always here at this moment. There's never a moment in time that God doesn't exist. He's always there. And he has a very, very long memory. And that means that any sin that you have forgotten about that you did when you were six years old, he still remembers. Any sin that, you rem- that you've forgotten about that you did when you were 12 years old, he still remembers. Anything that you've done 20 years ago that doesn't even come to your mind anymore and you sleep well at night because you have forgotten about it because time has taken place, God still remembers. We've got a problem then. We need redemption. We need an act that's going to be so significant and so, as he said, with a strong arm, I'm going to bring you out. So powerful, so strong that it's going to be, it's going to be so strong that an eternal God that cannot forget is going to forget. An eternal God that cannot ever lose sight of sin is going to somehow throw it as far as the east is from the west. We need some kind of act that goes beyond what we could even imagine that far exceeds us, that reaches into our past and not only our past, but every human being that will ever call upon this one person, and that is Jesus Christ. We need somebody that is going to do something so extraordinary, so magnificent, that it redeems the entire human race. And it's found in Jesus. That one single act, it wasn't as if that he, it wasn't that he deserved it. In fact, he's the last one because the Bible says that he was without sin. And if you look in, if you look in Matthew chapter 26, verse 27, Jesus is having his Passover meal before Golgotha. Before the cross, he has already taken these, he's already taken cups. He's already had the first cup. They have the second cup. And then they are talking about, they're having their dinner. And then the Bible tells us in verse 27, then he took the cup, which we would know would be the third cup, the cup of redemption. And why do we know that? Because they just ate dinner and they do the cup of redemption after dinner. And he took the third cup or took the cup. And gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink from all, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission 
of sins. He says, when Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with great judgment. The Bible tells us that Jesus stretched his left arm and he nailed it to a cross. The Bible says he took his right arm and those Roman soldiers nailed it to a cross. I'm telling you that he redeemed you. He already looked down where we were and where we would be. And he said to those Israelite people, I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to lift you up i'm going to pay a price that's so extraordinary large that this world can't even imagine what i'm going to do and it's literally going to cause the eternal father that will always remember your sin to look at me and when he looks at me his your sin he will remember no more because what he's going to do is while your sin is right there and going over there he's going to be looking at me when you burn when someone tries to take his attention off of you and bring you back to your sin he says no I'm looking at my son I don't have that attention anymore it this act right here has taken my gaze and has made me look upon my son the love that he had the redemption that he gave that he says I will not look at your sin I will not remember it anymore I will not even bring it to my mind because there stands my only begotten my beloved son with an outstretched arm nailed to a tree that is paid every price for you and this blood was shed for you and redeemed your life from destruction who redeems your life from hell who pulls you out of darkness and the world had you chained and the father says I'm going to do everything because my son is standing there the enemy says well what about this that they did and what about that that they did yes but look at my son it's greater than their sin what about this this pornography and this addiction and this depression yes but look at my son and look at the power that he did but what about the lies and the stealing and the thieving yes but look at my son my grace is sufficient my power is greater than their sin I can overcome it through the blood of Jesus Christ praise God in this room praise the Lord the cup of redemption it's what we have today. He has redeemed us because the Father's gaze is upon his Son. This is why it's, there's only one way. There's only one way of hope. There's only one truth, and that's Jesus. Because without some, some act that's going to take the attention of the Father off our sin onto the Son, you've only got one way in, and that's through the door that Jesus opened for you. If you're going to try to earn it on your own, there's no act, there's no redemption, there's no strength, there's, no, there's nothing you can do that's even going to compare to what the Son who came down from, the, from above, came to this world, was born of the virgin, came and lived a perfect and sinless life, gave his life freely on the cross, had his arms stretched out, nailed to a tree, and was resurrected on the third day, then ascended to the right hand of the Father. I'm telling you, there's nothing you can do that's even going to come close to that. There's nothing that you can do that's even in the same realm as that. So there's only one way out. There's only one act. There's only one act of redemption that far exceeds anything we can do. And that's already happened 2,000 years ago. So whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall 
shall be saved. And there's only one, one name whereby men shall be saved. It's the name of Jesus Christ. You can be lost and broken and in prison and locked up. And I'm telling you, whisper the name of Jesus. Whisper the name of Jesus. One name given to us that we cry out. When you don't know what to say and you don't know where to go and you don't know who to turn to, there's the name of Jesus Christ, the act of the cross, the empty tomb. We claim it, we receive it, and we remember it every time we take communion. We lift up that cup and we say, this we do in remembrance of that act, that redeeming act, the one that paid the price for me. And we take of that cup and we say, Lord, we drink unto the name of all, of all names, the name of Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. Praise God. Praise the Lord. But I want to tell you, this, this, we say it's free. But it cost him. Just several verses later. In Matthew's gospel, we were at 27, 28, verse 39. About 12 verses later. In Matthew 26. We find Jesus in Gethsemane. And he says, he went a little further. And fell on his face. And prayed. Saying, oh my father. If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. This is not saying that he was somehow weak. This is saying that his body knew what was coming. That the cup of redemption that he was going to have to drink, for us, it is a cup of blessing, Paul calls it. But for him, it was a cup of wrath. For us, when we partake of that cup, we feel Jesus close to us. We feel his presence as we connect one more time to that grand act of grace. But for him, when he drank of that cup, it was the wrath of God being poured out upon those that were lost and undone. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 16, Paul says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ, the bread which we break? Is it not the communion of the body of Christ? This means simply, his body was broken. His blood was shed. If you think about it, from you separate it from a religious mind. If I'm going to tell you today I'm going to break your body, you're not going to like that. If I'm going to tell you today I'm going to shed your blood, you're not going to like that. Why? Because even if somehow it would have some kind of benefit for me, it's certainly going to hurt you. Something's going to hurt in you. So what is a blessing, Paul says? What we do is we take that and we have communion, or the Greek here is means participation or fellowship. We fellowship together with Christ that somehow when we take of that cup, we reach up to the cross in time, go back in time on that wonderful act of the cross. And we are joining hands with Jesus and we say, we remember the you, Jesus. We don't take for granted what you did, what you did for us. 
and how you set us free. The Bible goes, verse, uh, I mean, excuse me, in Titus chapter 2, verse 11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and a glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. This act that he did redeemed us because he became like one of us and did a wonderful thing of redemption for us. Lastly, we have the final cup of redemption. I'm sorry, the restoration. He says, I will take you. The latter part of verse seven, the verse 7 says, I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light who were once not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. You see, we, through this act of redemption that Christ gave for us, we have become aligned with Him, and the next cup that we move to is when everything is going to be restored. When everything's going to be given back, we are, and so we get this restoration in two parts. The first part is this. Right now, your name is written down in glory. You are part of the kingdom of God. But the second part of this restoration is that not not only is your name written down in glory, but one day everything is going to be put to right. And you get to have part of that. You see, those that have not. You see, look at what Jesus said back in Matthew chapter 26. And he tells them, And he tells all of his disciples about what he was going to do as I spoke earlier. And he says in verse 29, he says, But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So we know on the Passover meal there would have been a fourth cup there. And we look at this and he says, Okay, we have your bringing you out. We have your rescue. We have your redemption. And he said, but this, this restoration, he said, one day we'll drink this cup together. I'm not drinking it right now because if I drink this right now, everything's going to be restored and there's still yet things to do. And so I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait for the kingdom of God to come. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, Speaking of these that died in faith. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things are declared 
plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. What does that mean? That means that that fourth and final cup that a Passover meal would take place. That Jesus said, no, I'm not drinking of that cup. I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until we come together in the kingdom. What he is saying is finally at one time that I'm looking for a people that want to sit with me in my kingdom. I'm looking for a people that are not satisfied with this world, that are not satisfied with the things of this world, that do not find their contentment on material things and find their contentment in the worldly pleasures, but they're seeking a kingdom that's greater a kingdom that has no disease, a kingdom that has no sickness, a kingdom that has no parting over there, no more tears and no more weeping, a a kingdom that far exceeds anything that we could ever imagine. He's looking for a people that are ready to sit down at the master's table and sit before the king of kings and we all gather together on that grand day and he lifts up the cup and we know that at this moment in time, everything is going to be restore from the north to the south to the east to the west redemption is beginning to flow and restoration the bible says there will be a new heaven and a new earth and for the former things will have passed away and behold he's going to make all things new restoration will take place as we partake finally of the final cup so we are part sister if you come to the piano we are part of the kingdom of god But we're not there yet. So we're strangers. We get unsettled sometimes. You ever been a stranger in somebody's house? There's nothing like sleeping in your own bed. Even if it's a lousy mattress, it's still better to sleep in somebody else's. Because you just can't get the rest. You can't get at peace. You can't get there. Why? Because it's not yours. It's not yours. For you, I want to tell you, we're here but we're not there yet. We, we can get healing and we can be delivered and we can have church and we can be in the presence of God and we can experience the power of God, but we're not there yet. We've seen nothing yet. We, 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 can, we can come to this place and we can see blind eyes open up. We can see marriages restored. We can see cancer fall off. We can see mighty miracles take place uh, uh, that go beyond our even our imagination, but we're not there yet. We can see many m- multiple miracles that will fill this house with the anointing of God where the presence of God would so fill it that we wouldn't even be able to stand up and walk. I've been there. I know what I'm talking about. Where you don't even, you can't turn to the left or the right and all you want to do do is moan and weep and cry and worship the Lord. But I'm telling you, we're still not there. And even in all that we do and all that we are, we're still not there. And when you breathe your last and he brings you up to the throne and he brings you unto himself, we're still not there. Because the Bible says, One day, we who are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And those that have died, have gone on before us, we're going to meet them up there. And all together, linking arms, we're going to go into the kingdom together. Your grandpa, your grandma, 
your great-grandparents, your friends, your loved ones, your children, together, not separate, not one at a time, but together, linked arms, we're going to walk together as the body of Christ. And the, the enemy, he's going to be accusing us. He's going to be yelling and screaming at us, look what they did. And the father is going to finally have enough of them. And he's going to tell an angel, get rid of this guy. And he's going to take the accuser of the brethren. And he's going to throw him into the pit, the bottomless pit, the lake of fire. And they're going to seal that thing up. And he'll never be out again. And the only thing we will ever know is what we were created to know from day one of Adam is the relationship with God is peace and freedom and joy. And we will be free to create a society of all the things that God wants. We're free to dream and imagine and do wonderful and mighty things. And because, listen, you say, well, what are we going to do when we get over there? We're just going to sit around? No. Inside of God is creative power. You've seen nothing yet. We just don't know what it is because he doesn't say, you just got to be there. It's kind of like one of those things. You got to be there to find out what's coming. He didn't tell us, but we've seen nothing yet. We just know what we need to know, how to get there. And once you step in there, my, your eyes haven't seen. And your ears haven't heard. And your mind can't even conceive what he's about ready to do. Beyond what this world could even imagine. Friends, you're never going to be bored. You're never going to be lost. Creative power of God is going to be actively moving in that time. You've seen nothing yet. Nothing yet. But you got to get there. Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of East Point Church of God and Pastor Larry Sterling. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.